Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 15 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through various Star Wars novels, both in Legends and Canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In this episode, we will continue through Star Wars Thrawn, covering chapters 26 and 27, and I'm joined today by the host of the Star Wars YouTube channel, Talking With My Hans, Ian Roth. Ian, how are you doing, man? Thanks for being on the show today. That was the most professional intro I have ever seen. This is coming from a broadcast major. My <laughs> friend, you could be on evening news. That was fantastic. I'm so excited. We were just talking before. I'm, uh, you know, you reached out and I listened to a lot of your, your episodes. And this is one of the most unique Star Wars podcasts, I think, on the internet. Very well put. You said that there are a lot of shows that will cover a book in an episode. But there are literally none that take it at a reader's pace. And we were just saying how there are many very slow readers out there and people like to take their time and digest the book. And this is the perfect show if you want to do that. Just breaking down each chapter, little piece by little piece. It's absolutely fantastic. And I am just beside myself that I get to be on this show. You really have no idea what a kind of an honor this is. But honestly, I, you're laughing, but this is, kind of, this is really cool for me. I appreciate it, man. First of all, thank you so much for all of that. <laughs> you're you're really uh, lifting me high on a pedestal right here. Um, I gotta float on back down from uh, from space. Uh, but no, but thank you so much. I really, I think, I mean, in these books, especially, there's so much good material that it's it's yeah. impossible to give it as much credit and justice as it deserves. If I'm not walking at a you know, and we were also just saying pace. right, and we were also just saying that like for people like us that love Star Wars and love it to death, and it's our thing. It's hard to condense the amount of stuff that you love from just one of these books into a five to eight minute review. Yeah. You know, like there are little tidbits in each chapter on each page that make people like you and I smile and that you want to highlight and you want to show people, even though people may be like, bro, like it's two <laughs> words, but like <laughs> it, there are things in these books that make you want to do that. And this is the perfect show. Like I just said, if you're that kind of fan and you want to see every little nook and cranny in every single book and that's you do a fantastic job well i appreciate it my man i really appreciate it too your channel is also great we'll uh, obviously let you talk about that uh and you know hype yourself up uh once we're done covering these <laughs> chapters um uh, <laughs> well but, if you say so i'll do a lot of talking <laughs> <laughs> i was wondering if you could give the listeners uh, a bit on your background with star wars you know you you yeah. have a youtube channel a about yeah. Star Wars, so clearly you're a fan. Uh, yeah, but just talk a little oh, yeah. bit about your background with Star Wars and then with Thrawn specifically as, as a character and, and this book yep. as well. So, like a lot of Star Wars fans, I should say, to start off, I saw it when I was very young. The funny story and the story of my family is that we were on vacation at Disney World of all places and uh, Revenge of the Sith was on TV and this mm -hmm. was 2006. I did not see the prequels of Peters. I did, was not a fan before 2005. But, uh, you know, you, you know the names, you know, the Skywalker, you know, Darth Vader, like, you know, the name, yeah. you just don't know the context. So we're in Disney World and Revenge of the Sith is on the TV and we flip over to the channel and it's literally the scene of Anakin burning a lot. <laughs> and, <laughs> <you know? laughs> and oh my God, <laughs> welcome to the my show. Brother, <laughs> right. My, my brother is traumatized at four years old and I'm sitting there going. God, I gotta find out what this is all about. I gotta see what's going on that here is... because I have no idea. So, the rest of oh that, after God. that, it's a blur. You know, I, 
I have no idea what order I watch the movies in first. I remember receiving them on DVD for Christmas and it being like this big event, like, oh, I got episode one on DVD. And then like another family member would get me episode two. I'm like, oh my God, I got two of them. <laughs> and at some point I must have watched all of them, but it's been a long journey in the fandom. And as you just pointed out recently, I started the YouTube um, a couple months ago, I started Twitter a couple months ago. And it was on a whim. It was just as an outlet for me. It's yeah. just something for something that I can talk to Star Wars and meet people like you and um, a couple of other podcasts I'm doing. And I'm just so grateful that I've met so many people like this. And that's really, you know, what Star Wars is for me at a, yeah. at a core value is just to meet people that are like me and, and love something like this as much as me. And I don't have any like special connection to the, like the franchise. Like I never worked at Lucasfilm or, you know, <laughs> even though I really want to, but like. <laughs> That's my one funny story is that like I was introduced to Star Wars at the most horrifying moment in the entire saga. <laughs> the most scarring moment, literally. Ooh, that's so I mean, Oh yeah, like, literally. <laughs> but um, you know what? And like I said, I wasn't a fan before the prequels, but you know, as soon as you you get into Star Wars at some point, you just you know, whenever like dips their toes in Star Wars, I don't yeah. think. You either are all in or you don't like it. Because there's just there's too much. So Back when I became a fan, and probably back when you became a fan, it was in the old Legends EU days, and Thrawn was one of those characters that was incredibly compelling. You know, he was probably the first character for me, outside the main movie characters, that I was like, wow, this guy looks really cool. Mm. You know, he was like one of the, he's just a character that catches your eye. You know, the blue yeah. and the red eyes. And, even in the old legend stuff, I mean, he was very good. I did eventually. I read, you know, the Air of the Empire sure. stuff, and it's, you know, obviously it doesn't hold up canon wise, but like for the time, I mean, it's it's almost like a Clone Wars level generational thing for for a lot of people. Yeah, I think for sure, Air of the Empire is, you know, for a lot of people, they're in for Star Wars when they really got into it. So Thrawn as a character is one of those bad guys that makes you want to root for the wrong team, and he was back then, and he is now. And when his story was erased. And um, his future was left up in the air and he was announced for Rebels. It was like this ground shattering moment. I was like, this is going to be the best thing ever. I can't wait. <laughs> you know, I was sitting with my roommate in college. I'm shaking. I'm like, this is going to be amazing. He's like, it's just a blue guy. Calm down. <laughs> just an avatar. What do you. <laughs> <laughs> so once he showed up, it was spectacular. And it was funny because I remember reading the books and then I remember him showing up in Rebels and going, that's exactly what I thought he would sound like. Ooh, yes, for sure. I forget who did his voice, but as far as like Thrawn sounding, that is so spot on. Gives me chills every time. It's so good, and so good. Even when I read these books, I read it in that voice. Yeah. Out of every Star Wars animated character, Thrawn by far is the best voice actor. Yeah, hands you know, down. He is. And he's one of those characters that, not only elevated the stakes of the show, you know, you have the first and second season where the Grand Inquisitor and the Inquisitors are cool, but like you really needed a guy that was yep. Seer, that wasn't Vader. Thrawn was perfect. I mean, he every scene he was in, it just took the show to an extra year. And that's exactly what they needed. They needed somebody that was so menacing and so tactical that it gave that show a weight because it was getting away from that. I don't know if you remember, but like at the time it was like the rebels just escape every time. Yeah, you know what sure. I'm saying? So like having Thrawn there was like this way of saying like, not only is he going to get them eventually, but like he's purposely letting them go. Yeah. Like there is bigger things to play. For them. So 
that's my connection to him. And he is one of those characters that kind of transcends time and space and just is an all time villain, I think. In at least in books, at least, I think he is probably an all timer. His following as far as the the Heir to the Empire trilogy and then this new trilogy, I feel like he is very much a fan favorite in the literature and now he's kind of emerged a little bit more onto the scene mm-hmm. with Rebels. I do hope uh, that we get more screen time with Thrawn. Um, it, it is very difficult. I've come to recognize this through talking on this podcast and just thinking about him, you know, as I, as I read this book and cover it, it's so hard to capture the depth of his character in a 24 minute episode, which, yep. you know, and I, I don't think that he was portrayed perfectly even when they did get it right, but I, I was very impressed mm-hmm. with what they were still able to do. I wish that I knew about him earlier in my in my life because he's he's such a great character. And this book is the first canon book that I read when I decided to dive into the Star Wars literature. And this will probably always be my favorite just with how strong of a character he is. And I got to be honest with you, I was honored that you picked me to come on for 26 and 27. Yep. <laughs> because these are by far the two especially 27 is probably the best chapter in the entire book yes i think i have in my notes that 27 is the most substantive chapter in the entire book i'm really excited to get there we got 26 first though Uh, 26 is good yeah it is i can give my chapter summary and we can dive in and talk about that let's get right into this all right arinda price and isb agent gudry get into paragosto city on Bataan and pay a visit to Price's parents. Agent Gudry, taking the alias Matai, convinces Price's parents that he has a friend in the Creek Path mining facility. Knowing that the Imperials will strike the facility soon, Price's father, Talmor, agrees to help them into the mine in order to retrieve Gudry's friend. Before they leave, Price slips away and steals her mother's comlink. Aboard the Chimera, Thrawn contacts Nightswan and arranges a secret meeting a few miles outside the Creek Path facility. Inside Creek Path, Arinda is able to remove herself from the group and calls Talmur on her mother's comlink. Posing as her mother taken by sudden illness, she convinces her father to rush back home with Price. Price and Talmur leave Gudry in the mine, where he will attempt to shut down the facility's shield generator. So. We start off here with Price and Gudry. They have gotten into Paragosto City. This is where this kind of final showdown is going to take place, where the insurgents on Bataan are sheltered in the city and underneath this shield generator covering Creek Path Mine Facility. Before we get uh, stuck into the chapter in, in too much detail, what were your kind of just overall thoughts on, on 26 uh, before we dive in? This is one of those chapters that's sort of um, the classic storytelling. You have to have this sort of piece of your story to ramp up into your absolute climax, which is 27. And it does it very well. You have little hints and teases in 26 of what could possibly happen. The stakes are pretty much laid out very plainly for you in 26, I think. I really loved in this um, in this chapter the interactions between Price and her parents. Mm. I briefly skimmed through the book, but these chapters really kind of show how prices change as a person, I think. It, this is a really good price chapter. But more on that, this book is a very good price book. Yeah. And she was one of those characters in Rebels that did not get a lot of screen time. So this is 
this adds another level to her character. For sure. It is one of those chapters that I, I don't think was a standout in the book. Sure. Out of all the chapters, I think it was a necessary chapter and it did everything correctly that it had to do. I think it was the final piece in the puzzle for Price's character. I think this was almost like the nail in her coffin for her Imperial side. You know, like Star Wars characters always have that one final moment in their life where like they either choose to be good or they choose to be bad. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like for Vader, which is the big one, he gives into the Emperor. Like that's his final nail. Yeah. You know, like he was obviously down going down the dark path, but like when he finally gives in, that's when the book is shut. Like there's no turning back. But I think this chapter is Price's Vader moment. Yeah, I like when, that a lot. When she when she goes to see her parents and she lays out this big plan to like, you know, the the big scheme. I think this is her saying like, I'm an Imperial, I'm gonna take care of of my family and that's it like nobody else matters you know what i'm saying which then feeds into the next chapter which we'll get into the whole like the imperial lives don't matter sort of thing but i really feel like this chapter is the i guess i'll I'll say it again but the, the vader moment for price it's her final okay this is my life choice I like that a lot. The Price's Vader moment. Uh, that that is so good. And I mean, it really is. We see in this chapter, because you know she is here. We can guess from the pieces that move here for, with with her actions that she, you know, she told Yularen and Thrawn and the rest of them that she and Gudry will go in there and kind of get information on the city's defenses. But mm-hmm. we always got the notion that she knows her family is in there and she's going to try to to get them out, um, which mm-hmm. which ends up playing out that way. Uh, but we also see that even her own family, even her own parents are not safe from her cunning. You're really right. This just solidifies the fact that she has kind of really changed as a human being. I think from the beginning of the book till the end of the book, it's a completely different price. What, who is it that opens the door? Her father opens the door, her mother her, opens her the door. Her mother opened the door, yeah. And she doesn't even recognize her. What a great metaphor for wow, she's changed as a person. Like her own family yeah. doesn't even recognize her when she opens the door to her own house. You That's know what I'm so saying? That's so good. I mean, in fairness, I think she did have a blonde wig on, but her facial structure was right. the same. But you would think you'd but recognize you're her right, own yeah. kid. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. you think that you, your, her family would open it up and say, like, that's the face of my kid, but like, even then, oh, that is so like, good. It was nothing there. And when I read it too, you just really you sparked that back into me. Like I was like, wow, like she's gone down this path. Like there's no. Yeah, I, I love her. that metaphorical, that that deeper symbolism there. That because she has changed, and we'll see how that develops here. Where even though she's there, you know, she gives her mom a hug. It's a great moment. I was like, oh wow, you know, probably showing some yeah. love and affection. This is really great. But then you know how she ends up swapping out her mom's comlink, which we'll, we'll get into. There's so much that has changed from Price when her mother got arrested back in chapter two yeah. and how she, you know, one of her original motivations was to get the family's mind back and kind of restore her family to yeah. the position that it once was. But, you know, even here, we'll, we'll see that she has changed. I, lo- I love that symbolism. That's a great point it, right there. It's a very, you know, obviously one of the big things about Star Wars, one of the big overarching themes in the lore is that the, the Jedi are selfless. The light side is all about being selfless and giving yourself up and, you know, recognizing that there are more things at stake than just yourself. And then the dark side is more selfish. You know, you, it's more about you. It's more sure. about your internal power. It's more about your strength as a human being. And I think that's very much the metaphor in the original trilogy is that the Rebel Alliance realizes that there are more lives at stake than just their own. 
and they fight for the light mm-hmm. in that way. And then the, the empire is more like me, 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 take, take, take. And I think Price is a good embodiment of, in that chapter of a really good imperial where they say, I need to look out for me and my family. For sure. And like if she was on the rebellion side, she would have been looking out for maybe the people of the mind. Yeah. Price is a great metaphor in this chapter for that overarching theme of Star Wars and, and the imperial faction as a whole. The other part of this chapter that I really love is when Price yells at her mother. There's that one scene where she just where she snaps and she yells at her mom. And I feel like in those first few chapters, she would have never done that. Yeah. You know, but because she has indoctrinated herself into this imperial way of life and she has become who she is, it's second nature. Like she just yells. She doesn't realize that what she's doing is wrong. It's just wrong. Yeah. The transformation that she's undergone, and, and a lot of it is, is completely understandable to a point where you know, yes. she went through a lot, and you know I've got the other episodes <laughs> to speak for that, but she has gone through a lot, and to a certain point we can sympathize with her, but you know even, even now we just see how much of her original motivations ha- have fallen away to this this imperial drive she's kind of just taken that completely and and she is very much like the embodiment of the ideal uh, imperial and you know her scheming with gudry to her parents it starts off right off the bat where they arrive at the family's house and after the hug uh, they basically spin this whole web that gudry he has an alias another identity they're creating this story that he has this friend in Creek Path Mine that they need to get inside to get him out before the imperial attack starts and In this conversation, we see that Price is becoming a little bit wary of her father because Thrawn had brought up this point when they were still discussing if this mission was actually going to happen that we don't know if her parents have switched sides, right? Where Price's father starts calling the imperial government on Bataan uh, corrupt and he's calling for, you know, the only thing we can do is revolution and... Price starts worrying here a little bit that her father yeah. might have turned. And there's a, a moment later where her father is saying that, oh, like, he, he doesn't know who Night Swan is. Like, he's not part of the insurgents. I'm wondering, for me, is that a front? Do we think that Price's worries are kind of validated here? I, I mean, it was just a, a tricky moment for Price because she's there. I got to free my parents. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh, wait. It was right. I think right. it's a great question. It's really it's a really good question to ask because I, I Personally, like from the father's point of view, I don't think it is a front. Like Night's one, and we're going to see in the next chapters, it strikes me as someone that is mysterious, like someone that is not in the public eye. So I believe that he was very much on the other side of this battle, but like I don't think he knew Night's one. But it's interesting that you asked that question because that's the exact question that Price would have asked. Yeah. But that's what she has become as a human being is that she is skeptical, you know, she is, that's the dark side way. Like, that's how it is. Like you become skeptical, you become itchy in your own skin, so to speak. Like you, that's the nature of the dark side and, and being selfish and be doing that kind of thing. And you brought it up great. Um, just uh, two seconds ago when you said, you know, she's coming from a good place, you know, she wants to save her family's money. She wants to do that, which is a good thing to do at heart. But one of the things in Rebels uh, that this book ties into very nicely, when Kanan goes to speak to the Bendu, you know, the, the Bendu says the difference between good and evil is a thin line. You know, mm. even the will to do great good can lead you down the dark path, yeah. which is something we see in Anakin. But it's something we also see in Price that she wants to do a lot of good, but she's it consumes her. You know, yeah. It becomes too much of her. And it shows in this chapter. It's. It's very sneaky writing by Timothy Zahn. He's yeah, a smart sure. man. I'm, I, I'm <laughs> sure you have said this before on, on the podcast, but Timothy Zahn, I mean, 
Talk about an all-time Star Wars writer. The fact that we can break down one chapter just like this just shows that he is... He's an all-timer. He yeah, belongs he, in the He knows what he's doing, for sure. From a certain point of view, and, and to a certain extent, Price is coming at this from a good angle, right. as far as we can see. But we'll get into some good conversation on different characters' perception of what good is, uh, especially yes. in, in 27. So her father, Talmor, agrees to take them into the mine. Gudry is you know, he must have been like a theater major. He's he's putting on a great performance as, you know, I got to yeah. go and save my friend. He's getting all emotional and really moving her parents and just totally playing them. You know, fair play to him. And we see this part where Price, before they head out, she says, oh, I got to go to the restroom. She instead goes to the kitchen and swaps out her mother's comlink with a similar one. I had a little thought here. Uh, I mean, first of all, Again, like her schemes stretch out to even her parents in all of this. No one is safe from the no. imperial that is Price. But I wonder here, because Price's line of thinking here is that her mom won't realize that it's swapped unless she tries to make a call, which begged the question that clearly like comlinks aren't to them as cell phones are to us. Like, is there a, a, an equivalent? Do they text? Do they only use those for calling? Do they have, like, social media? Like, she will question. never use that unless she's trying to call. Is So many questions. <laughs> it's a great... God, that's a great question because I can't think of one time where, like, someone communicated in Star Wars via comlink where they just, like, looked down at it and they were just like, oh, no, someone's in trouble. Like, it was always a call. Yeah, always, always a FaceTime. <laughs> So they, they must be just, just avid FaceTime users, I think. And I, yeah. It's funny because I know a lot of avid FaceTime users that like will only call people on yes. FaceTime and I hate it. I'm like, stop, please. I don't want to see There is your another face. way. <laughs> just text me. Uh, so I, I think everybody in the Star Wars universe is a FaceTime fanatic. Yes, they just canon. must see each other at all times. That is now canon. Uh, so, th so they leave the house for the mine. In this next scene, we get this this moment where Thrawn is contacting Night Swan on this secure frequency. And I like this moment where this woman picks up and he says that he'd like to speak to Night Swan. And she, there's yeah. this pause. And she asks, like, who this is, you know, what does he want? And he repeats that, you know, I want to, I want to speak to Night Swan. And I thought of this as, like, Thrawn's equivalent to... I want to speak to your manager. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really this moment where, like, if you tried to call the White House and you got the president's desk and you were like, I'd like to speak to the president, please. And they're like, who, who is are this? You? <laughs> Can you please not call this number? Yeah. This is exactly what I thought, too. I was like, wow, this is like really, this isn't a wrong number moment, but this is like, I know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. Please put me through a moment. <laughs> please, I, I promise I, I, I am who I say I am. It's really funny because, like, I can imagine the other end of that com, like, where, like, Night Swan is, like, right there. Like, maybe they're, like, having a cup of coffee or something. Yeah, and, the, yeah. and the girl's like, there's this guy on the phone. Uh, he says he wants to speak to you. I don't got a good feeling about it. And the guy's like, yeah, no, say no. And he's like, who's this? And he's like, I need to speak to Night Swan. Yeah, he really needs to speak to you. <laughs> this <laughs> is <laughs> urgent, sir. <laughs> I have no idea, but it sounds urgent. Okay. And Oh, wait, it's Thrawn. It, oh, 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 great the guy who I've been uh, plotting against this whole book. And they do have this conversation here where Thrawn is asking to meet. And we get this interesting moment where a lot of mystery was created here where Night Swan is thinking there has to be a catch, which, you know, totally fair to think that. But Thrawn hits him with this reply, and I quote, Your value to me cannot be realized by your capture. It certainly cannot be realized by your death. Which, when I read that, I was like, Thrawn has something, he always has something up his sleeve, but this is yeah. 
this is something more here where either he's lying, which doesn't seem very Thrawn-like, no. but to me it seems when he's telling Night Swan he's not looking to capture him, he's not looking to kill him, there's something more here. Yeah. And that just raised a lot of questions for, for me. Like, what could he be planning? It was, you know, just one line, but it was so, it just instantly creates this whole wall of intrigue and, and mystique, kind of. And that seems to be, um, for lack of a better term, the epitome of Thrawn's existence, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it seems like, A, he's not only one or two steps ahead of you, he's more like five or six steps ahead of you, right? Like, he has something up his sleeve at all times, but he has something up both sleeves and he knows exactly how this is going to turn out. And then he knows yeah. exactly where you're going to go. And then he knows exactly what you're going to do after that. <laughs> and then he's not really sure. Like he's always like way down the road. Yeah. But it seems a lot in this book. And that quote is the perfect example of this. You don't really know how much Thrawn knows. And that is one of the great pieces of writing when it comes to villains. I always feel like a villain captures me more when I don't know anything. Yeah. Like when I'm questioning how much he or she knows, that's when it's interesting. It's almost emperor-like. Like you always think like, how much does the emperor really know? How much does he have a hand in? Thrawn's the same way. On a smaller scale, mind you, at this point in his career, but it's still the same way. It's still like, especially with this quote, it's, okay, what are you really getting at? And yeah. you're always, always asking that. Every single Thrawn scene, which is what makes him a really good villain. Yeah, if he had shown his cards as they were without, you know, holding his hand to his chest, like, it just doesn't create a compelling character. So I feel that, you know, it is the very much the epitome of who he is as a character, but also just uh, time and time again, great writing and, and character crafting yes. from Timothy Zahn. You know, this isn't anything that we wouldn't expect from Thrawn, but every time when these moments happen where we're just left wondering yeah. what could happen, what does he know... I love when a book just is able to do that to you. And Night Swan is tentative, he's hesitant, but he ends up agreeing to meet. It's interesting that Night Swan agrees for me, because he could have easily said no, because this Night Swan dealing with Imperials, I'm sure, forever, has never come across a guy like Thrawn. Like, this is very not Imperial protocol. Like, yeah. this is very not Imperial way. Like, Imperials show up to your place, bomb your house, and get the heck out. You know, like there is no confrontation. There is no let's duke this out on a field of battle. It's, it's zero to one. I'm gonna roll up with fifteen <laughs> star destroyers. I'm gonna blow your planet to smithereens, and then we're gonna leave. And <laughs> and that's that. <laughs> I, I think that's what Night Swan is very intrigued about. I can't help but think, as someone from that position, think I almost want to meet this man because it's very irregular. Yeah. You're almost like. I kind of want to know what's going on here. Like, if it was me, I'd in Night Swan, I'd be like, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit interested. Like, I, I need to know what the heck you're up to here. And obviously, in 27, we understand why, but you're right. This little scene, as a whole, actually, between this, this call between Night Swan and Thrawn, is a really good prelude to 27 as a whole. Sure. I mean, really, really good. Like you were saying earlier, it's, you know, this chapter is very much moving the pieces on the board to set up what we get from 27. And this is. You know, a great moment for that confrontation. And everything you were saying about Night Swan, you know, the only thing he can assume from an Imperial is exactly that, just, you know, blowing everything up, you know, no regard for civilian life or, or anything like that. But Thrawn sells his case here brilliantly, where I, I love the response he gives. It's, and I quote, because you value life, because I am the only guarantee that the civilians crowded within your stronghold will not be slaughtered. 
Should others lead the attack, they will almost certainly kill everyone and destroy everything in their path. You do not want that. Absolutely. And that's Thrawn just, first of all, case in point right there. That is right. him acknowledging and telling Night Swan, I am different. You know this. You know that I am that guarantee. Time and time again, I feel like I've just been a broken record where Thrawn is setting himself apart from the empire that he serves, and we'll, we'll get into right. that in 27. But this is clear as, as day, him just right. flat out acknowledging that he is the only one in the empire who would even consider sparing the civilian life, which it's just a powerful moment. It's interesting because it speaks to Thrawn's character from all of his media, from his two other books and from Rebels. He's just different. Like he is not what the Empire is at all. And it's not only Night Swan that realizes that. It's Price that realizes that. It's Tarkin. It's the Emperor, for yeah. God's sake, realizes this. You know, and that's what makes him a compelling case is that not only is he a master tactician and has written really well and is different, but he has the eye of everybody, not just the people who serve him. Like it is everybody. And when you can catch the emperor's eye, that's when you know. I mean, that is when you know you ha really have something going for you, and it's Thrawn. It's hard not to love this character. And this little, just this little snippet and 27 are all you need to know about Thrawn to make him an awesome character. Exactly. There's so much depth and. He's similar to Palpatine in some ways, but then he's also very different from Palpatine in, yes. in, in some ways. And I, I love how just well-crafted of a villain he is. You know, and Zahn and, has done a great job capturing that in, in writing. And Timothy Zahn, to his credit, contrasts Thrawn very well mm. in this book. We just talked about how Price is kind of the diamond dozen imperial governor, whereas Thrawn is not. Yeah. And they work very closely in this book. There's a great contrast there. There's a great black and white there, you know. Even in the Rebel show, Thrawn wears white. For sure, yeah. Like, he's different. It, visually. Very literally. <laughs> you know, so you have that cue, but like also in this book, you have your very by-the-book Imperial in Price, and then the very not in Thrawn. And then you also have his mental side contrast, yeah. whereas, you know, Eli Vanto is not a smart man. <laughs> I, he's smart, he's but he's not Thrawn. <laughs> he's he not Thrawn. No one's Eli different. Vanto. No, and Eli Vanto is the every guy. Yeah. Eli Vanto is the guy that is you and I, you know, who is smart, but he's not like, he's not Thrawn. So Eli Vanto, which makes him a great character too, is that he is the vessel. You know, he's the guy that's like, like the what the heck's going on here? Please explain this to me of the book. And that's what makes him a great character. And that's what makes him a great pick to Thrawn is that he contrasts him very well. And this book and the rest of the books as well, Timothy's on really understands that level of in order for people to really grasp who Thrawn is as a person and how smart he is, he needs to have people around him that we recognize as not that smart and yes. very by the book Imperial. Oh, for sure. I totally agree that maybe Thrawn becomes less interesting if we don't have those vessels like Eli Vanto around him that are able to, you know, we can see Thrawn through their eyes, which their eyes are very much like our own. Uh, otherwise, there'd mm -hmm. be no understanding Thrawn. So totally yeah. agree with, with what you're saying. And you're talking about Price. We, we do find ourselves back with Price, Gudry, and her father to uh, close out this chapter where they are in the Creek Path Mine, 
and uh, Price is looking around as they're moving where she sees some some speeder trucks that have, I think, wire explosives on them. So we're already seeing some some pieces where if they wanted to take out the shield generator, there seems to be some explosives where they could very much make that happen. And Price is able to slip away, and we, we get this scene where she calls her father on her mother's stolen comlink and, and puts on this act posing as her mother she's coughing she's wheezing she's like i'm really sick you need to come back now with with arinda it's just reading this scene just in my notes it's like so cunning so clever just wow she will go as far as she needs to even deceiving and playing her family to get what she wants and even if she's trying to help them here there's still pieces on her chessboard which is it's just ruthless yeah, it's interesting that you say that there are pieces left on her board because there are, you know, I don't know them. I could not spit them out to you, but there are options. Like, she has options. She doesn't have to do this. She doesn't have to play her own family and then, yeah. you know, go down this route. But that's the route she takes. And there's something to be said in that, right? The fact that deceiving and playing and, you know, yelling at your own family is the route she takes it really speaks to the core of her character. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've seen her end up turning on her friends, her her former friends, I guess, with Driller mm-hmm. and Wahirli, and and how she was able to dispatch Ranking and and Mofgadi, and you know, we've seen her play everyone, and now it's kind of like the final piece on the board is is playing her own family, uh, and very interested to see right. how this plays out. So she reconvenes with Talmor and Gudri and. Obviously, her father is very flustered, like, we got to get back now. There's this whole scene where she's convincing her father to let Gudry stay. I think they agree that, all right, he'll, he'll stick around for an hour. We got to go back home now. Our, you know, mom needs us. And so they agree to leave Gudry there, and they start heading back to her family's place. And we get this uh, quote here. You've, you talked earlier about the contrast between Price mm. and Thrawn, where... Thrawn made this promise to Night Swan. He said that he was the guarantee that no civilians would be killed. And we see here from Price, and she's talking about all the civilians that she saw at the checkpoints when she and her father are rushing back home. You know, I just envisioned this movie scene where it's kind of like everyone's panicking to get inside the shield generator because there's this, these Star Destroyers up top. They know what's happening. And, and mm-hmm. she's just looking at all these civilians and... Uh, we get this quote, and I quote, how many of them would still be alive when morning came? That wasn't her problem. Yeah. That right there is as much of a contrast between Thrawn and, and Price as, as we can get, right. where no one else matters here to Price. It right. doesn't matter how many people need to die by the time that morning comes, as long as she gets what she wants with her family, without her family, we don't know. But that quote right there, I was just, I was, I was stunned. That, like, that is Arinda Price. That is who she has become. And yep. it's scary. It is. It's terrifying because people like Arinda Price in the Empire that see very small picture, very see through a very small window are very terrifying because that's how they think. It's like, okay, there's some people over there. They're probably going to die in a couple minutes, but like, yeah, that doesn't matter. And they keep moving on. Thrawn is not like that because Thrawn's a different a person, as we're going to see very soon, but he sees the bigger picture. And he has said that multiple times. 
that's just who Thrawn is. He's he's tactical, but he sees that there are more important things in the course of the battle than killing as many of the people as possible. Yeah. You know, Arinda Price sees the body count and sees that as a sort as a sign of victory, where Thrawn sees learning and sees that as a sign of victory as well. You know, I, I'm having a hard time putting it into words, but you get the point where Price sees body counts as victory thrawn sees not body counts as victory he is there are other victory conditions to thrawn that matter more than just the body count yeah and it's it's very telling and you know throughout this book price and thrawn have kind of you know been you know price has always i've considered her as thrawn's kind of like political counterpart where here we do see that as cunning and smart and very thrawn like in many ways that she is there are limitations you know she she is not thrawn and this is a very stark uh sign of that where you know, Thrawn values human life, and Price literally does not care what she has to do, who she has to kill, no. who has to die to get what she wants. You know, Price wins on the you know Im- how imperial can you get ranking uh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> um, but ten out of ten, folks. Yeah, Arinda t- Price, best uh, imperial. I don't know if that's a if that's a ranking that you really want, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it's ranking you deserve. Yeah, that does close out chapter twenty six. Do you have any? Closing thoughts before we jump into 27? My closing thought for chapter 26 is it's not nearly half as good as chapter 27 is. So let's dive right in and see what we got <laughs> in our hands. In a field outside of the Creek Path facility, Thrawn and Night Swan meet. Thrawn reveals to know that Night Swan had links to a group in the mining guild. Night Swan admits to having been part of the group to steal valuable metals from the Empire. He and Thrawn discuss what they know about the Empire's secret project, and Night Swan reveals that Higher Sky's purpose was to gain access to files pertaining to that project. Night Swan questions how Thrawn could serve the Empire, and Thrawn divulges that he joined the Empire in order to see if it could be an ally against impending evils in the Unknown Regions. Thrawn then asks a shocked Night Swan to join the Chiss Ascendancy in its fight against those threats. Knowing that would mean abandoning his people, Night Swan refuses. Arinda Price convinces her parents to flee the city with her, and Colonel Yularen finds Thrawn in the field. I'll just open the floor to you. any general thoughts on on chapter 27 before we jump in there are some real great twists here we got a lot of good stuff to dive into star wars books are some of the best media in the game you know that and i know that not a lot of people know that there are some books that i can point to on my bookshelf that i can say are better than the movies however even in those books there are very few moments that make you audibly go wow there are very few chapters that make you go, that was amazing. I can think of four or five moments off the top of my head in all the books that I've read in Star Wars that have made me go, that was amazing. This is on that short list. This whole chapter is one of those moments that it leaves your jaw on the floor. And even if you're old to Thrawn or if you're new to Thrawn, if you have not fallen in love with the character yet, this is the moment you're going to. I don't know how much better to put it than that. That was very, very well put. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> say that any better. And the funny part is that this whole chapter, pretty much, you know, aside from the small scene with Price convincing her family to flee the city, this whole 
chapter is just Night Swan and Thrawn talking, mm-hmm. which, you know, if you're looking for, you know, guns blazing, you know, turbo laser fire, starfighter right. uh, battles, you know, th- this isn't your book. This has never been that kind of book, but no. that isn't Thrawn. But that you is- know what? That in of itself speaks to some of the best storytelling in history, not just sure. Star Wars. Yeah. If you look at the best example of less is more is Rear Window, where the whole movie yeah. takes place in one room. You think, how can a movie be exciting that takes place in one room? And God, is that a good movie? <laughs> God, is that so good? Because it's, it really makes you focus on the story. Like, it makes you focus on the story being told. And that's exactly what this chapter is. No, you're not running all around the mine and you're not flying Star Destroyers and shooting people out of the sky, but it's just a conversation in the literally in the middle of a field yeah. in the middle of the night. It's, and it's the best chapter in the book. You know, we, we get this very climactic moment. And, you know, usually I guess you'd think of a climactic moment between two huge characters being like this big old lightsaber duel at the end of a movie or whatnot. This is just two masterminds having a chat, which is so right. good. And there's so much that gets revealed here. And, you know, let's just let's dive in because there there is so, yeah. so much. We get this whole reveal that Night Swan was part of the mining guild. I was blindsided by that. I didn't know. I was not expecting that. It makes a lot of sense in hindsight with how he was, you know, very much an expert in uh, having connections to uh, dunium and other rare metals that he was able to smuggle. And he reveals that he was a part of this kind of faction within the mining guild who was trying to steal these metals from the empire in order to help these small businesses that were suffering. And in this chapter, we get a lot of moments where we see that despite this book being Thrawn, we see that mm-hmm. Night Swan is, in the grand scheme of things, he's the good guy. Um, and yeah. it's just a nice moment here where he's trying to help these small businesses. And when he realizes that this faction was actually just selling these metals back to the Empire in the black market, he left. And that's how he started getting involved with these insurgents. And on the topic of him being involved with the mining guild, that's how they get on this this line of conversation, uh, talking about the what we know as the Death Star, what they right. know about this big project in in the Empire. And I, I love here how Thrawn is being very open with Night Swan. They're having a chat about, oh, oh, you know about the secret project of the Empire? Let's just let's exchange our information. Let's see. <laughs> let's talk about what we both know. We would think from if there was, was any other Imperial. That was the last thing that they'd be doing. It's just exchanging information about this very right. top secret project. It's as casual as you like. And it's interesting because Thrawn the whole time is basically baiting Night Swan, I think. Like Thrawn basically is the whole time saying, like, okay, like I know everything you already know. <laughs> like, let me see if you know what you know. And he he's kind of like drawing it out of him. And you see that towards the end, he starts asking him questions. But it is sort of interesting because it goes back to the conversation we just had earlier was that Thrawn sees the bigger picture. And one of the big themes of the chapter is that there are bigger things in the galaxy that are more menacing than the Empire. And I guess the metaphor for that is the Death Star. But obviously, he's not talking about the Death Star there, but the metaphor is the Death Star. And he realizes that the fact that you know about the Death Star and that I know about the Death Star is not the biggest thing at stake here. Like, them using it is what the problem is. So it's an interesting conversation. And I, just from a personal standpoint, I think one of the best running gags when this book came out was that everybody referred to the Death Star for a long time and never said it. Yeah. Like Rebels has like four or five episodes where they 
directly deal with the Death Star and either they have no yeah. idea they're dealing with it or like they're on the trail. And this book ad just adds that. Like it talks about the Death Star and for a long time that was it was very intriguing to read that and watch that and just as an audience member know what was going on, but watching two masterminds try to figure out what's going exactly. on is very, very entertaining. Especially just like you're saying from the fact that we know exactly what they're taught. We know the end game. They don't. Right. And and it's cool to see that this is something beyond the knowledge of these two masterminds. It's also just so cool, like you're saying, in, in these books and in Rebels and in this book specifically, to see these pieces being connected, the dots being yep. connected, where, you know, they talk about the resources being transported to, you know, Knights One is, is guessing maybe they have one centralized worksite. Thrawn saying, no, there's actually another subsidiary resource site that they're funneling other materials to, but they both agree that if there's just one or two work sites, it cannot be something like a, a big Starfleet. It has to be something large. Right. And it's just so cool seeing them piece together what we already know, but it's just a reminder that if you put yourself in this world, in this galaxy, mm-hmm. no one knows what's coming. And, right. and it's it's very... I, I I love the suspense that it creates. Like even though we know, you and I know, this is the Death Star. Yeah. Like it, it just gives me chills to read. Like yeah. them starting to understand what's at stake and what's happening here. Yeah, I'm sure there is a word for that. I don't know what it is, but I feel exactly <laughs> the same way. I when I read the book, I was like, "Oh, it's the Death Star I'm talking about the Death Star," and they're like, <laughs> you you kind of get giddy about it. And it, it seems really stupid now that you talk about it, but like at the same time, it's like, no, it, like it is cool. Like you want to see that yeah. connective tissue. You know, you want to see that this book leads into something very important in the saga, right? Yeah. One of the things that I've always said about Disney in their takeover is that they have made the, uh, the Battle of Yavin and the Death Star a very central focus. And they've done a very good job of yeah. that. And they've made that whole movie almost like this turning point in the whole saga. They said, here's our turning point. Let's branch out. Yeah. Like, let's make everybody worry about this. Even when The Force Awakens came out, they could have gone the other way. They could have said, let's forget about that. But they didn't. They said the Death Star was still a big deal. You know, like people don't forget that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think in this book, it does the same thing. It's like these people realize that like they got something going on here, but also like, oh, there's this bigger thing going on. Something, like, there's something, something else more. out there. Yeah. Right. And Thrawn will end up talking about uh, something even even more than that, or hinting at that rather. But before we get into that uh, line of the conversation, we we see this cool moment here from Night Swan where he admits to Thrawn that he tried to bring these insurgent groups together into what we know as what ends up becoming the Rebel Alliance. But he said that because of paranoia, distrust, and pride, and squabbling, like he he couldn't. We see how complex mm-hmm. this is. I, I love how many yeah. layers and dimensions this adds to, because you know, when we watch A New Hope, oh, we take for granted there's a Rebel Alliance, but there's so many yeah. pieces that have to be moved, and even a guy like Night Swan, who is very much the Thrawn on the good side, perhaps, he's not able to to bring them together. I, I thought that was a, a cool little moment where we see that this is in the works just not seeing a lot of success you're right it adds a lot of depth to both sides but it also goes back to the point where it's like good and evil is not as clear-cut as you think it is right like greed and squabbling and backstabbing is still very much part of the early rebel alliance just like greed and squabbling and backstabbing is very much a staple of the of the empire 
you know, like good and bad is literally a certain point of view, especially for Thrawn. He does not see good and bad. And in this chapter, he says, I only see the reality. Like I only see what's out in front of me. Yeah. And that's, that's one of those perfect metaphors for that is that, you know, Night Swan sees himself as objectively good, but Thrawn sees it as, listen, guy, like we just said, there, there are bigger things here at stake. Yeah. There's more to it than just black and white. There is this gray right. area that I, I feel Thrawn is in. Let's get into that part of their conversation, because that, I think, is one of the, the the biggest moments in this chapter, where Night Swan asks that surely Thrawn must know how evil the Empire is, right? There, there's no yeah. way that he can't see what they are, what they're doing. And I'm just going to read this passage here, because Thrawn answers this with, with kind of like a riddle, a, a question, uh, very Thrawn-like. I'm going to read it, um, and I quote, <laughs> I'll give you a scenario, Thrawn said. You and I face a dangerous predator intent on slaughter. Running is impossible. Tools and weapons are limited. What are your options? And Night Swan says, you know, to join forces, that would be the most logical option. Thrawn says, not necessarily. Unity against the common foe is one choice, but there is another. And Night Swan asks what that is, and Thrawn says, you already know. You strike me down so as to make me the easier prey. While the predator devours me, you hope to find or build a weapon you can use to assure your own survival. And Night Swan says to Thrawn, logical, cold-blooded, but logical. That that sums up Thrawn. <laughs> that's it. I, that's, that's, you read one line in the book, that's the whole book. Thrawn answers that, though, with, and I think one of the biggest sentences of this book, Thrawn answers, and I quote, My point is that it was that choice that lay before me when I decided to visit the Empire. It's an interesting moment, because I remember reading it for the first time. I remember thinking, of course he's not exactly with the Empire. Like, of course he's serving his own. Like, Thrawn will make you do that a lot. Because, like, you don't see it, and he does. It's a great book because you are trying to figure it out, like, as you're reading it. Like, I found myself doing that a lot, especially in his other books. I found myself yeah. reading along thinking, okay, what's he see? Come on, think about it again. You know, don't be an idiot. Like, you can figure this out. And then, like, then I read this, and you're like, that's it. <laughs> I get you now. You jerk off. I knew exactly <laughs> where you were coming from. <laughs> and it's, it's almost like this haunting moment, right? Because you're like, oh, maybe he really feels like he needs to be part of the Empire because he needs help. It opens up Pandora's box in a yeah. way. like, And you're only seeing the tip of the iceberg throughout the whole book. And then this is when the cloud cover fades and you see the rest of the iceberg, you know? Because he, he does tell Night Swan that he was qualified to be sent to them because he had met... Anakin Skywalker during the Clone Wars and right. basically what he's saying is that yeah there are greater evils out there and I needed to know if the Empire could be an ally or if I would just collapse them from the inside and let them be taken by this evil so we would have more time to prepare which opens like you're saying Pandora's box what could possibly be out there that mm -hmm. is you know, more or less scaring Thrawn's people enough where he is siding with the empire in order to try to fight it you know because we know palpatine like how can you get more evil than that right but right. no one knows who palpatine is right and he tells knights one that he was never supposed to be an officer in the navy but this was the way that he could gain the most intel and and you know learn their military structures 
because Night Swan is saying, is the Empire still better than, you know, the Republic that came before? And, and Thrawn is very convinced that the Republic was inefficient. It was unstable. There was too many bickering points of view. The Empire is, so to speak, good enough, right? It's the lesser of the evils right. in Thrawn's mind. And, you know, he admits that, and I quote, certainly the Empire is corrupt, no government totally escapes that plague. Certainly it is tyrannical, but quick and utter ruthlessness is necessary when the galaxy is continually threatened by chaos. And I guess there are two different points of view is what that chaos is, right? Where right. we have this moment where Night Swan is saying that, you know, just tyranny is just going to fuel revolt and and revolt and violence is just going to be an endless cycle. And we have this moment here where... Uh, if the empire falls, Thrawn asks, what can replace it? And Night Swan's answer is justice, mercy, freedom. Thrawn's answer is chaos, lawlessness, the Clone War. And we're just seeing two great minds on just the different sides of the fence yeah. where they're fighting for the greater good, but they just are totally, they just, their point of view is, is very different from what that good is and what the evil that they're fighting is. What, what did you think about this, this moment? It's an interesting moment because it, it shows their level of intelligence because it shows that they aren't fighting for their side because they believe in the ideals of what they're fighting for. Thrawn doesn't believe that the Empire is good. And Night Swan does not believe that his insurgency is good. What they see is the end game. And that's what separates, I think, very smart people from just average intelligent people. Is that yeah. very smart people will see the big picture and they will see the end game. And that's what they're fighting for. They're fighting for the end game. And that's what these two are doing. You know, when you read other books, when you read books about the Rebel Alliance or the Empire, you read that. You know, the rebel soldiers are in it for, you know, for freedom. They fight for freedom of the galaxy. They fight for, you know, each other and they fight for yada, 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 which is great. They see the end. They don't fight because we're fighting for freedom. They fight because what comes after. They fight for what happens 30 years from now. Yeah. Right. Which is admirable on both sides of that fence. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a very great point where they were able to see the larger picture. And you know, so many times I, I wondered what it would look like if Thrawn was on the other side, right? If he wasn't oh, yeah. uh, on, on the Imperials. And we're seeing very much that Night Swan is you know, probably who that would be. Where it also seems to me, though, like, I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh, no, like, good. it almost seems to me like, though, like, this moment also solidifies, like, okay, yeah, what would happen if Thrawn was on the other side? But, like, Thrawn would not have been on the other side. Like, this yeah. is what Thrawn sees as the best option. Like, it's almost an Anakin and Obi-Wan moment where people are always like, what if Obi-Wan had turned to the dark side and Anakin had stayed? It's like, well, yeah, what if? But the problem is they wouldn't have. That's not who they are. <laughs> right. And that's exactly what you see in this moment is that, oh, yeah, what would be the Thrawn of the other side? And you're like, well, there wouldn't be because this is what Thrawn sees. Like, yeah. this is who he is. So it's definitely one of those quotes that kind of, like we just said a little while ago, it kind of wraps the whole thing up nice into a little box. Yeah. You know, the, the whole ideal, it comes nicely in this little box that you just presented. It's It really is such a, a powerful moment, and you're so right that Thrawn, as he is, the whole reason that he joined the Empire and is trying to fight for the Empire is that he saw the Republic. He said that in the Clone Wars, he saw the Republic and its fall, 
And he knew that in his mind, it wasn't cutting it. It wasn't getting the job done. And as much as Thrawn is a villain, we see here that he admits that Palpatine can't live forever. Spoiler alert, you know, he doesn't know what we know. (laughs) Um, Whoops. He uh, does eventually die. He does, yeah. If, but then not really. But eventually, then he, and then he comes die. back. Um, <laughs> so, but Thrawn says that after Palpatine, he will be in a position to influence the next leader. So clearly Thrawn sees that there is a better way, right? That the Empire isn't, like you're saying, he, he knows the Empire is not good. But it's just that, again, it's like the lesser evil that he knows that as bad as the Empire is, as bad as Palpatine is, there's something more that you know, this is a necessary step. Uh, and it adds a lot of mystery. It kind of, you know, adds some, you know, it's a scary element, like what could possibly be worse? But in Thrawn's eyes, in the, in the larger picture, the Empire is, is nothing compared to what he knows to be out there. And uh, he ends up asking Night Swan to join the Ascendancy because he knows that minds like Night Swan, if he's captured, if he's killed the Empire, even if Night Swan was captured, he knows they would probably execute him. Fair, right? That's probably exactly Mm -hmm. what would happen he knows that a mind like night swans cannot be put to waste it cannot be wasted he tries to get him to join the ascendancy and night swan knows that that would mean leaving his the people that he's fighting for and and that he can't do that and and we see a little bit of naivety from thrawn where he's like if you join i still i will do everything within my power to make sure that no civilians die that your people don't die but night swan Mm -hmm. knows that there's no way that Thrawn's superiors would, would let yeah. that happen, and uh, you know Night Swan ends up ends up leaving. And before they leave each other, Thrawn admits that although he does serve the Empire, if their interests conflicted with the Ascendancies, he might change his course. Which adds a little bit of okay. So is he really with the Empire through and through? Yeah. A, a great moment of of mystery before the two of them part ways. It's a great reveal because even when he was in Rebels, you just kind of get like, oh, this guy's a different Imperial. He likes art. He's very smart. You know, he and it's cool. It's great. And throughout the whole book, you're kind of like, this guy's really cool. He's really great. He's very smart. He's a tactical mastermind. But then it's this moment where you're like, this is his depth moment. This is his, oh, like there is this other side to him. Like he would turn his back on the Empire. You know, like he's not a through and through cold-blooded imperial you know what i'm saying like yeah he's, he's got a little bit of human in him and that's that's a very interesting part of the book I, I love the the depth of the characters that we saw here where you know you can understand from night swan's point of view that he knows too that his days are numbered he even admits to thrawn that right. you know I, I i don't have time do i and you, you hate to see it because thrawn is is trying to give him an out and and night swan he's kind of like we can see here that he's willing to go down with the ship no, there's no way. Um, you know, if you see a, a, a fleet just orbiting the planet, you know, you know what's coming. You know that people are going to die, and yeah. know, Night Swan leaves, uh, and you know, Thrawn tried to get him to join, and it just there's a there's a nice little beautiful moment where Thrawn comments on Night mm. Swan's name and what it means, and it it basically means you know it only sings when it's night. You know, like it basically means like oh, he's only going to make your message is only going to mean something when you die. Yeah, and it's it's a nice little moment, and. Night Swan realizes that. Like, Night Swan gets it. He's like, yeah, you're right. But he still continues to be with his people because that's what he believes in. And that's yeah. it speaks to both of these characters because they're both very headstrong. They see the big picture, but they both realize that, like, for each of them, this is what they have to do. Yeah. And a sense of duty and, and loyalty very much, you know, is a, is a part of both of their characters. And it's, it's a very much uh, 
a Bail Organa and so it is moment where uh, they part ways yeah. and I like how you're saying that his message will only be sung and realized after his, his death and yeah, we can I, attest to that because we've seen the rest of the movie exactly right? like, exactly that's true like Night Swan's not his individual message but the rebellion really only continues on technically after Night Swan dies yeah. you know that's sort of the epitome of the rebellion is that like there are martyrs in the rebellion and there has to be for this thing to succeed. So it's, it's really quite a good metaphor for the Alliance as a whole. Yeah. I, I love that so much. You know, that it's something needs to keep them going and, you know, they do have their martyrs very much. So, and I, I love to see that Night Swan it played a very big role in what we know to become the, what ended up becoming the rebel Alliance, but just getting those pieces moving. And so, uh, Night Swan leaves him and, uh, just as this scene ends, Yularen shows up behind Thrawn with a weapon yep. drawn, and in his mind, it, it appears that Thrawn is a traitor to the Empire. He just saw that he convened with Night Swan. We and do, what a great cliffhanger. Oh, we do. It, it was broken up by this, this scene where Price is, we're back with Price, and she's pleading with her family, like trying to convince them we have to go. It's a very quick scene. You know, this is the moment where she ended up snapping at her mom, like, you know, we have to go. Like, yeah. no. This is what we need to do, and very much price <laughs> headstrong, driven. Like she knows what needs to happen, and you know she even snaps at her mom. And it's it is a quick scene, like a little tra- you know transition scene almost. Um, but she ends up convincing them to leave, and at whatever cost, right? They're packing their things. It's very urgent, and and price tells them that this is the only way, which is great. What a great line that is too, because it's the same message that's mm-hmm. in both scenes all three of those characters see their way as the only way. Yeah. Right. Like price sees that we have to go. This is the only way that this is going to work. Theron sees his position in the empire as this is the only way, this is the only way this is going to work for me. And then Knights final forward sees his position with the insurgents as this is the only way that I can work out how my life is going to go. So that transition scene though, pretty much just a plot point to get them out of the way. It speaks the point of the whole scene you know like all of these characters see their way as the only way it's i guess about how they go about it which is fascinating i like how you i didn't think about that originally where this kind of like creates the triangle there um where all of them see that as right it's a great it's one of those great storytelling moments i love trying to decipher stories and their different paths and you know where they are in the hero's journey like this whole thing I love trying to figure that out in the story. And this is that moment in the story where they all just at the same (laughs) message. You know, they all come together in that one singular point. You have three separate tracks of things going on between Night Swan and Thrawn and Price. And then they all come together and they reach the same point. And it's really, this might be the climax of the book. Yeah, because I mean, there there is clearly more book left but uh right. as far as just the big moments the character defining moments this is it and mm-hmm. you know what a chapter it was for that um it, it does come to a close with thrawn putting yularen's concerns to rest uh where he tell he's pretty honest with yularen he tells him he offered uh, knights one a position with the ascendancy he refused you know but that offer would have removed 
the leader from the rebels, so it would have benefited the Empire as well. Yularen kind of like, oh, that's pretty sound logic, I guess. And Yularen also questions as to why Thrawn had the fleet positioned the way that he did. Uh, it seemed very suspect to Yularen, but Thrawn, again, puts those concerns to rest, saying that, you know, the three cruisers are positioned farther enough uh, away from each other where they could just jump to hyperspace if they are attacked and that any potential attackers wouldn't be able to hijack all three ships at once but that is where the chapter ends uh you know the, the bigger moments obviously what we had just talked about with uh, mm-hmm. price with night swan and thrawn and, and that that's 27 um <laughs> what a ride it was <laughs> and 27 is not even that long like 27 like at least in my paperback is like eight pages yeah it's... nine pages maybe it's really short but he just i mean he just jam packs the whole thing in there it's great. It's beautiful writing. It's writing that I will never be able to do, and I envy Timothy Zahn for not only writing this fantastic book, but three Thrawn books before that, yeah. 20 years ago, and then two other books after this, and then he has another one coming out this summer, very soon. So yeah. October, I think, this, or September. Yeah, <laughs> coming out soon. <laughs> you, know, you know, spoiler, this book is very good. The next two are very good. The Empire is fantastic. I don't know how he continues to write this character. It continues to make it fresh and new and exciting. It's mind-boggling, really. There's so much credit to him where I think it's been said before in the show where it's not a lot of writing, like you're saying, but it's the quality of it and what's packed Mm -hmm. in there. It's so good. And Do you have any closing thoughts on Chapter 27 before we uh, close out the show today? Like I said, first of all, this is one of the few moments in Star Wars books, which I love, mind you, that left me audibly going, wow, right? Chapter 27 is one of those points in the Star Wars books that people like you and I read Star Wars books. And they're the moments that we talk about with people that don't read Star Wars books. Where when we draw the inspiration to tell people that these books are worth reading, it's moments like chapter 27 that that draw that inspiration. Like I said, there are moments in in a lot of Star Wars books, all my favorite Star Wars books, Alphabet Squadron, Lost Stars, from a certain point of view, gosh, this book, there are points in all of those books that just hit me like a train. And it's that feeling that inspires me to keep telling people that these are very worthwhile star wars stories yeah and really worthwhile stories in general like there there is a quality here that that stretches beyond this universe you know if you want good storytelling and good writing you know you don't have to look any further than than this book than the other books that you've mentioned the other books that i've read that you know will one day be covered uh on on the show it's we are spoiled for really great content which you know, for for you and I, it's we can't ask for anything more uh, as avid fans. It is. It's we live in this day and age where we have books like Thrawn that are just absolutely out of this world for Star Wars fans. You know, sometimes I wonder how accessible Thrawn is to a new car. You know, sure. to someone that's new to Star Wars. I think it's a I think that's a fair point because at least for you and I, there is a mystique around Thrawn. There is an air to him that is you know ooh, he was heir to the Empire. Ooh, he's a very big deal. You know, there there yeah. is that piece to him. But I also think that. If someone wanted to pick up Thrawn and wanted to say, you know, I've seen Rebels, I've seen Clone Wars, I- I'm into Star Wars, is this a good place to start? I would absolutely say Thrawn is a perfect place to start. Yeah. From cover to cover, Thrawn, 
perhaps the most entertaining book there is. The most, I don't want to say active book, but it is. It, it's a book that'll make you think. It's a book that'll make you really use your head and want to keep turning the, to the next page, which is at the core of all books, what they should be about. Yeah, you know, Just a book that makes you want to keep turning the page. And Thrawn does that perfectly. I, I know that I couldn't stop. I couldn't put the book down when I first read it, and that really captures it. But you know, better than anyone could say. You know, it's uh, it's a real page turner, as they say. <laughs> yes, uh, I didn't want to use the term. Page uh, someone turner had to do it <laughs> because I like. You're right. Someone had to say that it is a page turner. I think it deserves more than the page turner mantra, but it definitely does. It definitely fits the bill. I feel like we've we've spoken pretty good about it. Where. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes but uh yeah that that wraps up 26 and 27 ian thank you so much for coming on the show today man um i would love to give you a chance to speak about your youtube channel about what you do if people want to find you on the internet where they can do so uh yeah if you want to talk a, a little bit about uh talking with my hans absolutely um thank you again for having me on this was absolutely amazing uh, i uh, obviously i'm a huge fan of the show um you do a fantastic job um, so just just being on it has been a real honor and a, and a great privilege to talk about one of the best Star Wars stories there is out there. And um, whoever gets to read it is very privileged. Of course, I do book reviews, too, on my channel, which is uh, Talking With My Hans. You can find me on Twitter as well at uh, at Talk With My Hans underscore. Very active on there. I love interacting with fans. Very interactive on my YouTube channel. The YouTube channel just got started. We were just talking before the show. I have 40 some odd videos up there. You know, I have so much more to come. So you're catching me at a great time. You catch me when it's when it's just growing and we're just getting into the stuff. And I can't wait to go on this journey and, and meet different people like you, Andrew, and, and talk about Star Wars and, and get into it. And that's what the channel is all about is just taking Star Wars and not doing here's every lightsaber color ever. Here's every stormtrooper ever. It's let's talk about the story. Yeah. Let's talk about the storytelling. Let's talk about these characters' motivations. I mean, that's the kind of person I want to be on YouTube and on Twitter as well. The other part of that is I, I want to be the kind of person on YouTube and Twitter that's very positive about the books or the movies or whatever it is. And I try to live up with that. And you do a fantastic job on this show of being the same way. You're very positive. Uh, you know, it's not ever like, oh, this book sucked. Like, you know, this is just <laughs> this is just the worst possible thing that's ever happened. And you have nothing to back it up. It's just. I think you and I are very much the same in that aspect where we both see the better side of Star Wars. And that's something I want to keep doing. So again, at talk with my Hans underscore on Twitter. And then you can follow me on YouTube at talking with my Hans. It's just the picture of Hans Solo looking like a complete doofus on Echo Base. So <laughs> you can't. I like how you said that you don't want to just talk about Star Wars. You want to think about Star Wars, and, and, not, and yeah. there, there's a lot of, of depth to your content, to your videos, what you cover, and I love how you're you're very real with it. You know, you, you could be like we were saying earlier off mic. You could just say positive things over and over and over about it. Yeah, but you're very real with it. You you acknowledge parts of the universe that are that are good. You know, shortcomings in stories and books and content. You're you're very real with it, and I really appreciate that. And I know that your subscribers and followers appreciate that as well. Where you're very honest. You're a very honest fan, and I think that goes and, a long way. And that's that's all I ever want to be, you know. And that's I think what every Star Wars fan should be is just let's be positive, but let's also be real with it. Let's look at these stories for what they are, and let's let's study them. Let's look at them because 
whether we like it or not, Star Wars is a very huge part of Americana at this point. Yeah. It's a huge part of history. And there are going to be stories that are dug up 400 years from now and said, wow, <laughs> this is storytelling. And I just want to be part of the group of people that recognizes that. Like, I want to be part of that group of people that says, this isn't just lightsaber colors and people shooting each other in the face. Like, there are fantastic physical stories here. And I think you do a really great job of, of presenting that. Well, thank and, you, and sir. Listeners, I will post a link to Ian's channels, his social medias in the episode description. And again, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really fun talking about uh, these chapters. Thank you for reaching out, my friend. I uh, would love to have you on the YouTube channel. If we, you know, if we do a Thrawn series, if I get you on the fan interviews, I would love to have you on. Uh, I love that. This has been a privilege. Thank you. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media, feel free to give our Twitter account a follow at Outer Rim Read Pod. And you can listen to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, feel free to give the show a good review if you're enjoying it. Good reviews on Apple Podcasts really help other listeners who are interested in Star Wars literature to find Outer Rim Reads. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Geha, it is produced by Andrew Geha, it is edited by Andrew Geha, and we will be back in two weeks with episode 16, the season one finale. So until then, sit back and enjoy. Have a chat with a protocol droid over there. I don't know how they do things at Mos Eisley, but we definitely serve their kind here.